God bless you, but greet you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. Aren't you happy to be alive? Amen. Be able to serve the Lord with all your heart. Give him everything that he's given to us. We certainly owe him everything that we are, everything that we could ever be. Let's turn today, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? I find this amazing in the way that Paul wrote this, that he does not say that, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, but the, as if though the individual is the entire temple. It's phenomenal when you look at the way that he phrases this, because every individual that's filled with the Holy Ghost is identified as not a temple of God, but the temple of God, which is a miracle for us Gentiles, isn't it? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now, this is where so many people struggle in considering themselves to be their own. Well, I want, and I want, and I want, and I think, and I believe, and I can do what I want to do. You can, if you're not born again. But if we believe what the Bible says, then... We are bought by him. So let's say here today, there's a slave market here. All of you all are for sale, including me. We go to the highest bidder. Now when they buy us, they can do whatever they wish to. This is the way that they treated slaves, lower than animals. It was like property. They wanted to beat you, they beat you. They wanted to starve you, they starved you. They wanted to take this man away from this woman, put him in that woman, all that sort of thing. That's the way they done. Now that, wrong, that idea is so of hell, so anti-God. But there is a slavery idea, which is of God. And that is that he bought us and paid the price for us, and we're not our own, but we belong to him. Notice in verse 24, ye are bought with a Price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Not God in possessive, nor plural, brother, but God in possessive. Oh, my. I want to be there for Him, don't you? Amen. How many has a request today on your heart you'd like to, like to remember? Uh, Eric will be starting her treatment, fourth treatment as far as we know tomorrow, so we certainly appreciate you praying for her as well. Many needs, we know that the Lord is mindful of them all. Let's just pray right now. Lord Jesus, we have before us today some very profound words. We ask that you would take them and make them alive to our hearts, Father. We are grateful 
that we which were in the slavery and the bondage of sin have now become your property. We desire, Father, that we would be able to give everything that we are into your ultimate control. Lord Jesus, would you take your words and speak to us? You saw the hands of the people that were uplifted, signifying a need, a desire, a request. We pray that you'd be mindful of all that's been spoken today, those needs and requests that Brother Wes has already prayed over. Father, would you be mindful of them? Now come today and help me to move out of the way. Lord Jesus, I present my human instrumentality. I give to your control that part that you placed inside of me, a gift which is separate than my human instrumentality. So if I can get them together, then Lord, you'll be able to do something here today that we'll be benefited by. If you don't, It'll just be a protractive meeting. We'll say, well, it was good. Singing was good. I enjoyed it. But Lord, we don't want it to be that way. We want you to be able to speak to our hearts those things which we need. Grant it, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. To us, maybe to open this in Corinthians, with this passage of Scripture, it might seem quite unusual. But had you been living whenever this was written in the first century, and instead of being a resident of Johnson City, or Kingsport, or Elizabethton, you actually would have lived in the city of Corinth. It was a very wicked city. Seaport city, a city that had many, many temples to Diana, to the Greek gods and goddesses, to the Roman gods and goddesses, and many of these people had got saved. God had, by his power, changed their lives. Remember, the Lord had told Paul, I have much people in this city. Now, we probably would have looked at them and thought, there probably ain't one at all. There's probably not a seed of God here nowhere. But that shows the difference in the way we look at it and the way God looks at it. But even though they had been called from this darkness and they had been able to accept salvation, the true atonement, yet because of all they had heard and their upbringing and the surrounding of the area that they live. Now, this is something that people still don't understand, I think, today. You know, whenever we have the ability to stream, and uh, for those of you that are streaming us today, and then maybe you'll go down to Brother Tim's and stream there, and then go up to Canada and stream there, and then you'll stream others on different time zones, and you'll hear different pastors dealing with different things and different issues. And you might think, wow, why would they have to preach that there? Well, because our area is a little bit different than Brother Tim's area. Brother Tim's area, different from ours, both of ours, different from Vancouver, different from Harare, Zimbabwe, different from Nairobi, Kenya. So every pastor will have to deal with that which is 
uh, you know, more suited to his particular congregation. Then whenever you have a streaming congregation, my goodness, it's a miracle that God can even get a man out of the way to be able to speak to all of them. So you might touch a need here, one there, one there, one over here in a total different country in a place that the customs and the culture are so different that the preacher himself is absolutely overwhelmed why he's even saying it. But whenever the books of the Bible were written in the New Testament, they were more honed like this to a particular city, a particular area. And Corinth was a terrible place. It would have been an awful place to have been a child of God. Now, Johnson City is bad. Bristol, bad. Kingsport, but I can guarantee you from what I've read, it's nothing like the city of Corinth. All I can say is, I'm glad I didn't live there. But God wanted to prove that in the worst of all places, he could have people who believed him. Now, that did not eliminate the problems of these people. Now, remember, this was all made possible by the work of reconciliation through the kenosis of our Lord. In other words, he steps down in order to become one of us, to be able to translate us or move us from one kingdom into another, which has happened to every child of God that's here today. So we have been transplanted or translated from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, under the rule of the power of darkness, under the kingdom of his dear son. This has happened to the saints at Corinth, but it did not eliminate their background. It did not eliminate what they had grown up with. I find it astounding that Brother Branham tells us that what you are, much of what you are, you will make when you are younger. And many of you that have sowed really bad seeds in your younger days and done things that you wish you would have never done. Many of you, if you could go back and relive your life there's so much that you would change. Is that right? And things that maybe even today that you still are dealing with and it's because of the way you lived when you were much younger. And it's the same way with the saints in Corinth. So here Paul is addressing Christians who love the Lord. People who have been changed. People whose lives have been redone by the power of God. But he still had to write about fornication. Why? Why in the world would you write? Now this is not being written to a brothel somewhere. This is not being addressed to a honky-tonk. It's not being addressed to the red light district. But it's being addressed to the church at Corinth. Why? Well, because the way the Gentiles looked at fornication. Now, fornication was extramarital sex. It was either between unmarried people or those who, same word, pornea, same word where we get pornography from. So it could be used either way in the Greek language, uh, whether it was between single people or married people. But the Greeks and the Romans, it was their culture. 
that fornication was no more than if you were hungry and you went out and bought a piece of bread. Well, the way they looked at prostitution, the way they looked at extramarital affairs, it was the same way. It was just a natural appetite in your body. So the sexual desire, the sexual craving that you had, there was nothing wrong with satisfying it by whomever. So if you were a man and you wanted men, that was fine. If you were a woman and you wanted women, that was fine too. So some of those believers had now become converted. But the problem was of what they had formerly been taught and what they'd formerly believed. They thought it was still okay. So they were believing now, Christians, they were believing that a person could be a child of God, go to church, live right, and yet, you know, if, if they was not really married, they could go out and find them a girl, find them a boy, find them a man or a woman, and just take care of that sexual drive, go right back to church, shout, speak in tongues, glorify God. Come on. Don't sit there and look at me like a bunch of angels that you know what I'm talking about. You see, God loves to take people like this and make them saints. Now, a lot of us that's never had them kind of issues and kind of problems, we would tend to look down our nose on them, but God didn't look down his nose. He looked through the cross. And God saw they were redeemable. Now, come on, saints. But yet, is it uncleanness? It is. Was it wrong? It was wrong. And Paul felt the need now to be able to deal with this because we know that there was actually later on in the, in, in the book of Corinthians that there was a man that was living with his stepmother. And yet, they were coming to church and they were acting as if so everything was fine. Everything was okay. And there was a particular man in the Corinthian church that was a very strong personality. And this man was actually influencing a lot of these things that were going on. No doubt he wasn't born again because had he been born again, he'd know that you could not live this type of life. So Paul wrote to them and said, flee fornication, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now Paul, of course, in prior reference to this, he's showing how that whenever a man and a woman would come together in the natural sense that a married man and a married woman, then they were one flesh. And this was a great type of Christ and the bride. But what was happening was absolutely contrary to the word. Let me just go ahead and say it. It was not wrong 2,000 years ago. It's still wrong today. It is wrong for young people to kiss before they are married. It is wrong for them to touch. It is wrong for them to do things that only married people, well I'm going to go ahead and say it with or without your approval. It was wrong then, it is wrong now. A man should not kiss a woman. Oh, Brother Donnie, we're already engaged. But how do you know you or her one won't die before you get married, then you've kissed another man's wife. You are supposed to kiss when you raise that veil off of her face. Well, praise the Lord. Now, notice that Paul, 
gets a beautiful insight on this. In verse 19, he said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Now, not bodies as in plural, but your body. So God is taking one Holy Ghost-filled saints, and they become the epitome of the entire body. So one saint of God, one child of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, and it goes parallel exactly what Brother Bram said, and Christ submitted the Christ being the center of the revelation makes him the center of the Bible. Christ in you makes you the center of the revelation, makes you the revelation of the whole thing. So when one person being filled with the Holy Ghost, they are the temple of the living God. And yet we know all the fullness does not dwell in, in any one of us, but when one saint of God is filled with the Holy Ghost, they are, as I said, the very epitome of the whole thing. So Paul was wanting them to see what was going on. Now he said that what you have of God and you are not your own. So you're not your own because you have been bought with a price and therefore we do not have the right. Now he's trying to get it over to the saints there and some of them that have not yet received the Holy Ghost that whenever you are going out and you are laying with these men and women, you are doing this filthy sort of lifestyle. Don't you understand you're bringing reproach on the entire body of Christ? Well, praise the Lord. Now, you see, whenever we as the saints of God become really regenerated and the Spirit of God changes our nature from within, it places something there on the throne of our hearts that gives us the power to help us overcome. But always remember, your flesh is an animal and it cannot be trusted. It will never like what God wants of you. It will complain, it will gripe, it will grumble, it will make excuse, but you have got to control that animal of yours. Is that right? Now, this is why it goes on to say that in verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. As I said, as a slave who is purchased by his master, then that slave had no right to back talk his master. That slave had no right. He could be killed for it. For saying, I don't want to do this. I don't desire to do that. His tongue could be cut out. His hands could be cut off. His life could have been taken from him because of the law, and it was very, very strict with the Greeks and with the Romans. Now, whenever we look then at those of us that are truly born again, and knowing that we are his property because the blood of the Lord Jesus paid our ransom to the justice of God. So it was not that uh, here the younger boy goes up to his daddy and says, okay, well, here's my blood, and I give this blood to you, or I give this blood to myself. It was not that way at all. It was Father God in the form of his own son, and the son was his own flesh, and the blood was given to the justice of God in order to satisfy the penalty that man had brought upon himself. So the blood of the Lord Jesus is a ransom that is paid. This is what Paul said, that we are bought with a price. So he took off our, our obligation to punishment, but he gave us an obligation 
to obedience. So it does not mean that when once we're saved and we cling to the cross and talk about the cross and the blood and so on and so on, it does not mean that we have nothing to do. He simply purged us from our obligation to be able to be penalized under death. When we broke the womb, the prophet said, when you see that navel cord, it is a sign of a renegade. Every one of us attached to our mother, and when we come out, why? We wasn't supposed to have a navel cord in the beginning. We would have come forth by spoken word birth. We would have not been attached by a navel cord to a woman. But it was because of the fall that we received that umbilical cord and threw that on every one of us. If you think you're such a godly, holy, wonderful, righteous person, raise up your shirt after church and you'll see that it reminds you you're a rascal. I don't care if you're white, black, red, yellow, or pink, and purple stripes. You are a renegade. Oh my, being born of the woman tree places us with this birth. But the man tree had to be made flesh, the tree of life, in order to give us a new birth. And we are not attached to Christ by a navel cord, but by his predestinated seed word. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad for that today? Now I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that Paul says, Know ye not that ye are, not a, but not a temple, but ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now I realize that uh, many of us coming from a background of Methodist or Pentecostals or whatever more, and we tend to lean toward the legalistic side of so many things, and this scripture has been applied to those actually who have the Holy Ghost. And people say, well, if you got the Holy Ghost and you drink and you smoke and you do this and that and the other, you need to read your Bible a little bit more clear. Because if you've got the Holy Ghost, you are not going to do the above things that I just mentioned. Nope, you're certainly not. Paul is not even identifying an individual. It doesn't even make sense when you look at it in reality. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwelleth with you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. How can a man or woman filled with the Holy Ghost defile the temple of God and then seal to the day of their redemption and then God turn right around and destroy his own temple? It makes no sense. But this, Paul is catching the overall picture of what is going on, not only in the Corinthian church, but also now is starting to grow in the Ephesian church age. That there were men that were there that were false apostles, they were false workers of, of good things, and they were going around spreading false doctrine and error, and they were getting in among the body, and they were defiling the body of God and trying 
trying to bring the temple of God into utter confusion. Now he's not writing about a man that's got the Holy Ghost and then that man messes up and makes a mistake and God's gonna turn around and destroy him. How in the world could God seal you to the day of your redemption and then turn around and destroy you? Oh, you say I'm not gonna make a mistake? You are. But this can only be done by those who are not truly born again. You see, there are those then as they are today, and they attack the temple of God, the church of the living God. Now look what it is if you and I go around and try to sow contention in the body, and we try to bring difficulty in the body, and we will try to bring impurity in among the body. Can't you see why God hates talebearers? Can't you see why God hates troublemakers? Don't you see why? It is such a serious thing when people try to come in and split and divide and all that sort of thing. Every false prophet that will ever stand on the face of the earth will be judged for trying to destroy the temple of God. All of these folks that have left the message and are still trying to come back and get in among us and sow their false ideas and their false seed, don't you understand what God's gonna do to them? Destroy them. Why? Because they are trying to destroy the temple of God. Now, not just us as individuals, but us as a body, us as a move. So what should we do as the people of God? We should give everything that we are to the purpose of God and never be found on the other side as trying to attack the body of God. Now it's amazing because Paul uses these words as if it would have been someone in the Old Testament and they would have went up to the house of God. Of course, those of you that know a little bit about the history, you know whenever the Romans came in and one of the greatest defilements that they brought upon the temple of the house of God was that the the emperor come in, the general, and he come in and brought pigs and slaughtered pigs right on the altar of God before they destroyed him. And whenever in the time of the Maccabees and the different ones, this is what made them so angry and so upset because they would come in and they would defile the temple of God. So all that ever had offered on that altar was lambs and turtle doves and pigeons and so on. But they would bring in a pig, which was an abomination, of course, to the Jews, and they would bring it in and slaughter that pig on the altar of God. Now what were they doing? They were defiling the house of God, the temple of God. And by doing that, God said, I will destroy them. And he did. But yet, whenever we bring it over now to the New Testament, we're not just talking about, oh, I've got the Holy Ghost. Oh man, I'll tell you what, I made a mistake. Oh, God's gonna destroy me. That's not what Paul is even saying. But he's pointing to the error and the false doctrine. Can you imagine those who are attacking the word of God for this hour and trying to attack the body. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So a person with the Holy Ghost is not gonna go out and do a bunch of these things as sinners do. They're just not gonna do it. They cannot do it. Neither can God destroy one which is a temple of God because grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed until the day of your redemption. 
So God cannot live in you and then you mess up and then God get out of you and then God kill you because you messed up. What kind of God have we got? What kind of seal have we got? But we're dealing with a scenario that Satan himself loves to do because this is what he done, of course, in the very beginning when he got among the angels. You see, as God commanded the punishment of death to be able to inflict it on whoever would do anything against the house of God, found in the book of Exodus, also the book of Leviticus, if a high priest would come in and his life had sin inside of that, God would kill him. God would kill him right there. Remember whenever they offered strange fire and the spirit of God come right down and killed him right at the altar. But now we bring it over to where the temple of God is not just this place here. Ah, this place is nice. We thank God for it. Well, it's been what meant to our hearts. But yet we're gonna walk out of this place in a little bit within an hour or so, something like that. But the spirit of God is not gonna stay in here. The spirit of God is gonna go with us. Is that right? Why many of you would never come in here and bring a cup of coffee? You'd never bring a sandwich in and sit down and eat. Why? Because you have such respect for this building and you should have. But how much more the temple of God? You see, a tornado could come through here and tear this building absolutely all to pieces. Does that mean the dwelling place of Almighty God has been destroyed? No, he lives inside of our soul. Well, how much more unity and harmony should there be inside the body? Can you imagine for those who are trying to destroy the effect of the ministry in this hour? You understand what God, how God is going to look at those people? You understand how God is going to deal with those people and they struggle? the very economy of God and the very setup of the temple of the Most High. He's going to deal with them as if though a man in the Old Testament had taken a hog and laid him up on the altar of God and took a knife and cut his throat and that swine blood would have leaked out all over the altar of God. Friends, people aren't coming against you. They're not coming against me so much. They're coming against the house of God. The temple of God. Oh my, I know the Mormons, you know, they got a temple here and a temple there and a temple somewhere else. Uh, uh, not, not long ago, I was out west and I was checking in a place in a hotel there and there was a man that come in, a lot of Mormons out there, and there was a man that come in and the young guy checking him in. They began to talk to one another and he, oh, I knew I knew you was one of us. I knew I knew, oh I know, I'm standing there waiting to get checked in. He said, yeah. He said, so well, what do you do? He said, I build temples. Oh, he said, oh my, oh my, this young man was just so elated. Oh my, yeah, he said, I built the one in Columbus, Ohio. I built this one, I built that one, I built temples. Well, I knew I'd been around the Mormon sun, so I knew exactly what he was talking about because they don't call theirs necessarily a church, but a temple. Well, let me just tell you something. The temple of God is not made out of brick and concrete and mortar and block. Is that right? It's not built out of a metal building, but it's built out of the spirit of the living God. And God comes and dwells in our human temples, so it is like a temple inside of your temple. And it is erected by stone after stone upon the foundation of the, of the apostles, which is the apostolic faith which has been restored in this day. So this body here is the temple of the Holy Ghost, but this body ain't the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost lives inside of me. Well, what happens to me whenever I die? That which is my 
deposit goes into that theophany body and my portion of the Holy Ghost goes inside of there, it will be mine for eternity. The body goes back to the dust of the earth. What happens to it? I will get a resurrected temple in the resurrection. Well, let me just say it to you this way, that Brother West, myself, these other ministers here, other ministers around the world, we also are building a temple. Except it's not building one in Columbus, it's not building one in Salt Lake City, but it's building one here and there and there and there and there by which we're able to take the word of God and lay one foundation stone and another and another revelation by the spirit of God and this truth and that truth until we become the house of the living God that God can feel so comfortable dwelling inside of our bodies that he can see out of our eyes, that God can heal out of our bodies. Oh, praise the Lord. I just read it this morning where the prophet said, who has the most authority, an angel standing before God or a redeemed son of God on the earth? And he's someone that minister, the pastor goes into the platform. He said, that is the angel of God. And he said he has more authority on the earth than an angel does in heaven. Well, come on, saints, it's the truth. You see, but Satan would love to blind us from the thing of who we really are. He wants us to constantly say, this is who we are. No, this is not totally who I am. I am held in this prison, but this is not who I am. My, my, the longer I live and the older I live, this body's becoming a prison house. Oh, some of you young people will smile. It won't be just a few settings of the sun, you'll understand, because I used to smile like you all did too when I hear old preachers say it. I ain't smiling this morning, Emma. If I can get past my pains, oh well. But what is it? The older we get, the more things we deal with, disease. Oh my, you hear the prophet say it. It is a tabernacle of humiliation. And the longer we go, the further we go, the more humiliating this old thing becomes. I know some of you all think the farther you go, the prettier you get. And the farther you go, the more handsome you get. You need to look in the mirror of the word and you realize you need a change. I ain't talking about a sex change either. I ain't talking about no facelift. I'm talking about a body lift. I don't just need my face lifted. I need my whole body lifted. Out of this world into another dimension. What's this? Paul like and what a peculiar thing it was that he's seeing the house of God, the temple of God being constructed. Now here God had placed Paul and he identified himself as a master builder. And he said that he had laid upon this foundation of uh, the apostles, of course, what God had done and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the chief cornerstone is placed upon the foundation. What is the foundation? Apostolic foundation of the New Testament. And Jesus Christ allows himself to be laid upon that foundation. Then any other man who builds and he tries to add wood, hay, 
and stubble. Don't you see what man wants to do? God wants to build it by word, rock, revelation, word, rock, revelation, another word, rock, revelation. And then man will try to come right along beside those rocks of revelation and he'll lay something with timber or hay or stubble. And what's he doing? He's putting a weakness inside the temple of God. Every one of those things in our lives. Now come on church. Every speck of wood tradition. Every speck of stubble tradition. Every speck of tradition that we still have in us. Hinders us from becoming the full revelated body of the Lord God. He wants your salvation to be a revelation. He wants your sanctification to be a revelation. That way, nobody can talk you out of it. You see, when our young girls and our young men get a revelation why they gotta be sanctified, then when they complete high school and go to college, somebody in there won't talk them out of the need of wearing a dress. Somebody in there won't be able to talk them into drinking beer at parties. Why? If they lay another revelation right beside their salvation, then the revelation of salvation, the revelation of sanctification, the revelation of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's all rock after rock after rock, stone after stone after stone. But I wonder how many of us have got stone, hay, stone, stubble. Praise the Lord. And who is it that loves to defile the temple of God? Satan. Watch this in 2 Corinthians 6, 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Wow. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Boy, you ain't gonna hear this verse 18 read and preach much in this day and age that we're living. And will be a father unto you. After what? After you're separated. But you see, many claim sonship, heirship, just by coming to the altar. That breaks the pattern of the scripture. Oh my, now we're not talking about folks getting saved. We're talking about discipleship. How many wants to be a disciple? I know I've been mentioned to you lately, but I think it's very important that we as the message people realize we don't want to just be saved. We want to be disciples. Wherefore, come out from among them, verse 17, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So the Lord will not receive people as long as they're touching unclean things. As long as they're not separate. Now notice Paul is not saying saved, but separate. This is the separation point of those who are called to be bride. I don't want to just be saved. I want to be sanctified to my husband. I want to be a temple of his seed. Now the consummation of the wedding, we'll get to it eventually maybe, 
But when the man and the woman would go in under the hoopah, and they would finally exchange their few short vows, then he would take her into the bridal chamber, and the wedding would be consummated. He would know her as his wife. He would then let out a shout, and the friend of the bridegroom stood at the door of the bride's chamber. He would hear the bridegroom's voice and then he would reverberate that voice out to the wedding party and the guest. It is finished. It has been done. Now she's not just his girlfriend. She's not a flirter. But she has become his temple. Hallelujah. For he has now sown that which part of himself replicates himself inside of her. And she becomes, glory to God, she becomes the temple of his life. She does not receive his life by them sitting on the front porch making goo-goo eyes at one another. She does not receive his life by holding hands. She does not receive his life by receiving love letters. Oh my, don't you understand the difference between the bride and the church? The church, oh yes, we're saved. Oh, we want to go to heaven. Oh, we don't want to die lost. All this, but the bride has been called into the bridal chamber. Hallelujah. Well, we know there's only three rooms in a house. You may have 25 rooms in your house, but there's actually the three main ones that you use. And that is, of course, what the prophet told us about the kitchen, the living room, and the bedroom. There in the kitchen, that's as far as many folks go. They come to the table, they eat. Oh, praise God, this is such good food. This is such good food. I love it. I love going to church and eating and eating and eating and eating. Y'all, some of y'all weigh a thousand pounds spiritually, but how much do you do for the kingdom of God? You're about the size of a beetle and what you do spiritually. We don't want to just eat and become a big bunch of fat slobs around here but we want to be people that put this word into action where the spirit of God can live out of our lives. Then you go into the living room. Oh, I love fellowship. Oh, my, I love fellowship. My, praise God. Ain't it wonderful, brother? Thank God. Oh, we were lost, now we're found. We were blind, now we say fellowship, fellowship. You still ain't received the seed yet. Where does that happen? In the bedroom. Oh my, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Folks get saved, oh hallelujah. Glory to God, I was a drunk, I was a liar. Glory to God, I'm saved. Are they saved or they're not sure if they accept that? That's right. You want to live all your life in the kitchen? Looks like some of you have been doing a pretty good job of it. <laughs> you want to stay in the kitchen all your life? Not me. I want to go in the bedroom. I want to go in the living room. I want to sit on the couch with him. I want to talk with him. Come on, saints, don't sit there and look at me funny. I want to go in the bedroom with him. I want to become his temple where he can 
and plant his seed word and I can go out. Oh, glory to God. And I can go out and help others find the same thing that I found. What do we do? A son of God packing the seed light. It's not the angels that's going to do it. The Lord Jesus himself is not going to come down and do it. He's going to do it with people that have become his temple. Oh my, notice this. I will then, God says, will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters. Not just when you get saved, not just when you move into the kitchen, but when you move into that holy sanctum of the presence of God. Now when Christ's presence comes in the soul, What does it do? It gives us the ability to possess our vessel in sanctification. Now, we know sanctification is a compound Greek word which means cleaned and set aside for service. So, we'll use this bottle here for an example. I I found this bottle out in the barnyard. It's got cow manure on it, dirt, straw, Mud, all kinds of stuff. Now I go over and I pick it up. I take its sin upon me. I am now contaminated because I have touched that filthy thing. So I have now saved it from being destroyed in the barnyard. But it's still filthy. Now, would you take this, if it was empty, and it had cow manure, chicken manure, dirt, filth, just all over it. Would you take it in the house, set it on your table, pour coffee in it, milk, juice, whatever you like to drink, water? Anybody? Well, I don't understand why if you wouldn't do that, why would some people expect God to give the Holy Ghost to people who are still like that? That's why you cannot receive the Holy Ghost. People say, well, I got saved, I received the Holy Ghost. Then Paul, you know, writing in the the Bible there, spoke to some of those Baptist folks and said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Two separate things. So that a person reaches down and picks it up, which is what the Lord God done to us. He reached down and picked us up and took our sin, our filthiness upon himself. Can't you see why he could not do it in the form of God? He had to do it in the form of a person that could transcend beyond eternity and go into the barnyard. A spirit's not gonna go in the barnyard. It had to be the flesh of a human being. God needed a hand and God's spirit could not become dirty. The Lord Jesus become defiled on our behalf. Everybody understand that? He was the pure, sinless, holy one. And when he reached down and picked us up, there we were. Then what did he do? He took us into the house. Church house. He took us into the house. And then he started running some water. The washing of the water by the word. Now he started washing us and washing us and washing us. And, you know, depending on how finicky you are, my goodness, if that was me, Lord of mercy. Yeah. I don't tell you how many times I'd have washed that glass. I just got a you know, very queasy top of stomach. So there ain't no way in the world I could have took no, no glass out of there and just picked it. Well, Lord, I got it. Don't bother me. Well, you ain't got no stomach then, do you? 
But the Lord God is not going to come and get inside that vessel. And it's still got drinking. It's still got smoking. It's still really addicted to pornography and it's got all kinds of issues. You say, Brother Donnie, why are you preaching this? Because the king told me to. You got a problem? Talk to the main man himself. So the Lord God washes that vessel and he washes it until he's satisfied that it is clean, depending on how picky you are, maybe one time, maybe two, maybe a half a dozen. Then you set it up on the drain board or you put it up there and you look at it, yep, now it's ready. Now it's ready. So what is it? It has been saved. It has now been sanctified. It is cleaned and set aside for service, but not in service yet. Now, unlike this one here, it has contents in it, but your glass is empty, remember. And that's what the Lord God does through the process of the new birth. But Satan has pulled a fast one on many of the Christians today, and he convinces them when the Lord picked them up out of the barnyard they were in, they got it all in one big lid. So they don't need sanctification, they don't need the Holy Ghost, they can live how they want to, can't you see what he's wanting them to do? The devil, the devil is the one trying to defile the temple of God. God will destroy him, God will destroy him. I feel sorry in one sense of the word for those poor blind Laodiceans who are going to church and sit there and think they're on their way to heaven. My, they're gonna wake up one day and realize when the bombs are falling. Lord have mercy, children. I hope you know that I'm not trying to scare you into a relationship with God. But the more you look around and see where we are, we're in the very time when nuclear war could be engaged at any time. Oh, but Brother Donnie, we've got great missiles. We've got great interceptors, and we do. We've got some good ones, but we ain't got but 40 of them. We have got 40 in our nation that will be able to intercept an ICBM. Whenever that ICBM starts out, you've got so many seconds in the first booster stage. Then it changes over to the second stage. When it gets up to the third stage, you've got a few minutes. That warhead is traveling 15,000 miles an hour. Our government does not have enough deterrent to stop Russia, nor does Russia have enough to stop us. I'll tell you what will keep the world from being annihilated, the grace of God. America has over 5,000 nuclear weapons and Russia has almost six. Man can destroy himself and God didn't hold him back. He would annihilate this planet and blow it plumb into smithereens, as we'd say. But she is God's attribute. The devil will never destroy this earth. Don't you understand? He'd love to. He would love to destroy this earth the way he'd love to destroy you. It's his pride. It's his arrogance. Somehow, Brother Joel, he must still think he can do it. I'll destroy the earth. That's what he says about you. I'll destroy you. I'll get you tied up in this besetting sin. I'll do this and that and the other. But God said, no, you ain't Satan. This one's mine. Oh, glory. This one is mine. You thought you had him. You thought you had her, but they are mine. That's what he says about this earth. Satan, it's mine. 
Oh my, people just getting up, going on, doing as they do. I'm so glad the grace of God is still watching out for this planet. This is my future home. I come out of this earth, I'm coming back to it. Hallelujah. Satan thinks he'll destroy it. He thinks he'll annihilate it. God will not let him. But can't you see? Those who sat against the house of God, the temple of God, who are they anointed by? The devil. The devil. What was it to stop World War I on the 11th day and the 11th hour and they still don't know exactly what was it? The angels of God stepped in and held the winds. Winds in the Bible represent war and the winds were blowing. They're blowing again. You see it, you hear it every day. How oh, it's been years since we've heard so much stuff about nuclear this and nuclear that. It's every day. But I'm so glad we got a place to hide. I don't mind telling you, if I didn't believe what I believed in this word, I'd be terrified. And I hear of our nuclear experts talking and saying the things they're saying and they themselves are terrified because they know we are not a match for Russia. Remember I told you the other night that Russia working on their stealth bomber which they have named the messenger. The messenger. They're gonna have a message for America. Well, come on now. God already gave her a messenger but she turned down that message but she won't be able to turn down the one that Russia's gonna send. Oh my, aren't you glad you got a hiding place, friends? Notice this, Paul says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now we got a different church, the church at Thessalonica. Still predominant Gentile believers, Greeks, Romans, Parthians, different ones. Their background was so filthy and rotten. And some of them were still dealing with this aspect in the flesh. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now remember, this is a different work of sanctification than the master taking you in and washing you out. This is you and I watching everywhere around us. Friends, we can't even go to Lowe's and Home Depot without being bombarded with rock and roll music. I mean, you can't hardly go anywhere anymore. You can't even go to the grocery store and get out on the checkout line without all kinds of fills being posted on the magazines right there. Don't sit there and look at me and act like you don't see it. You can't even open your news on your phone app without all kinds of advertisement of this and that and the other. We need to be washed by the water of the word. Not one time, one time every millisecond maybe. We constantly have to be washed. You imagine we're a bride and we're dressed in sparkling white glowing garments and around us everywhere is black and smut and filth. We can't even go anywhere. It's black and smutty and dark and filthy all around us everywhere. And when you're surfing the web, there's all kinds of it. Some of you young brothers ain't got no control over that thing. Get you an old people phone. 
Oh, well, Donnie, people make fun of me. I'd rather people make fun of me than me be cast into hell. If you ain't got no control over your smartphone, then your phone's smarter than you are, dummy. Well, praise the Lord. Get you one of them old timers phones. You know, them great old big numbers on it. Uh, well, I, I, I got to access the internet. If you ain't got no control on the inside, disconnect your internet. Well, preach, Brother Donnie, come on. This is us possessing our vessel in sanctification. Don't fill your mind with all the things of the world, with the world's music, and our young people filling their minds with one movie after another, after another, and yet what do they do? How much do they know about the Bible? How much do they know about the message of the hour? You're not going to take the rapture by how many movies you know, and Disney done this. Yeah, look at what Disney's doing. They are corrupt, they are rotten and they have got a filthy motive behind what they're doing come on Happy Valley, we've got to possess our vessel in sanctification treat your body as the work of God and the property of God Is there anybody here today, if I invited you over to my house this evening, you'd come in, go down to the girls' toy room where they used to play, get markers, crayons, start marking all over Carol's walls, go in the kitchen, get your pair of scissors, and cut the couches, cut the cushions. I'm not sure which one of us would nab you first, me or my little darling sweetie. <laughs> then if you met somebody on the road, you'd say, what are they doing up there? Well, the last time I left, they casting out devils because <laughs> they throwed me out in the yard. <laughs> we wouldn't do that, would we? Why, you say, well, that's their house. Well, my goodness, I, I'd feel so embarrassed even have to go to the bathroom. Well, I wouldn't get a drink of water. I'd sit there and I'd starve to death for I wouldn't do that in their house. Well, why don't you treat this like God's house. But we live in it so much, it's like we think, this is mine. I can do what I want to. If I want to watch an R-rated movie, I'll watch it. If I want to cuss, if I want to drink, if I want to do this, I'll do it. You're doing it in somebody else's house. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. The prophet says it this way, and the word saints comes from the word sanctified one. And sanctifies a compound word which means cleans and set apart. And the vessels that was put on the altar cleanse the vessels. Now watch, the altar sanctified the vessels. And they were set apart for the service of the temple. So it wasn't just the vessel so much. It's where the vessel was set. So you'd go out and you'd buy a vessel. Well, the vessel could have been used in your kitchen, could have been used in your neighbor's kitchen, but instead that vessel wound up on the altar of God. Now in your house, it was not hallowed. It was not sacred. 
But once it was set on the altar of God, the altar sanctified the vessel. Now was the vessel made out of more holy clay? It was not. Was it more, the red oxide was, was sanctified? No. The potassium or whatever more, was it holy potassium? No. It was the altar that sanctified the vessel. The indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost, the altar in the soul of the believer, sanctifies the body. The body don't have the Holy Ghost. It dwells in it. You understand? The Holy Ghost is on the inside and the altar in our souls sanctifies the vessel. Praise God. Notice this, and a vessel of God, which we are, is sanctified through the blood of the Lord Jesus and set apart for the service of God. Again, the Hebrews, he spoke to the church in the form of a man, his son Christ Jesus, and he's speaking through his church today through the anointed church of the living God through vessels of clay. So what makes me different, Brother West, Brother Joel, to be able to stand up here behind the pulpit? Oh, why couldn't you do it? Or you, or one of your sisters, why? Why not anybody just stand up here? It's because the altar where we are set sanctifies and sets us apart and deposited a gift. So am I any better than you? No. Is Brother Joel Brown any better than you? No, we're not better by ourselves. What is it? The altar sanctifies us and sets us aside. You see, friend, this is why the Laodicean church, they just don't get it. But remember, the prophet saw them in the vision and they were naked. Had gray strips of paper hanging down and they were dancing to rock and roll. Led by a woman who had a crooked nose and all that sort of thing, he said, which to my opinion, was the World Council of Churches. And they were leading them straight to the tribulation period. That which is still emphasizing and still trying to affect today. But may I say to you, there is another part of the vision. And that is the music as it was muffled in the background. And he said, the bride must come into view again because she is Alpha and Omega. And the last few members of that bride, they got to looking at that church. They were stepping off out into eternity, screaming and hollering. And some people in the bride message got their eyes off the word. And they started listening and watching that church. And they got their eyes off the church and the prophet comes to himself in his room there in the home. Get back in line. Get back in line. Who is that message to? The bride. The bride. Well, come on, is that part of the vision? Well, you said, well, I'll tell you one thing. Bless God, if you're the bride, you ain't never gonna do nothing. You're bride by seed, bride by soul, not bride by flesh. It was their flesh, that part, that began to look at that worldly church and they got their eyes off of that and it was the voice of the word. And he said, that might happen whenever I'm gone. It's where we are. Amen. Get back in line. Get back in line. Stand up. Yeah. <sighs>
Listen to this in perfect strength, my perfect weakness. God's strategy is to take empty human vessels and shake the world with them. At Pentecost, what did he do? It taken them 10 days to get all them emptied out up. And they were all standing there with vessels turned up. And God took himself and filled them up. That's all. They shook the world. Poured himself into them. That's the need of today. That's what we need today is the empty vessels. Yes, sir. So God can fill them up. And you cannot take them. I got to bypass a lot here. He says, and God cannot use them as long as they're already filled up. If you're full of theological training, God can't use you. God's got to have empty vessels so he can fill them. Oh, yes. Help us, Lord. Now, he's not wanting to take the Holy Ghost out of you. He's wanting to take foolishness, carnality, worldly things. Anything that hinders you. Preconceived ideas that's wrong. Tradition. Let me just read this to you from the Letters in Church Age book. Here is now set forth the love of God. He desired in love a family of his own. A family of sons. Sons like himself. There before him lies all of mankind as one lump of clay. Out of that same lump, he now makes vessels unto honor and unto dishonor. The choosing will be his own choosing. Then those chosen ones born of his spirit will be trained, trained to conform to his image in their walk. Trained. That's not born in us, Brother Skip. It's not born in us that automatically we get it and there it is. We have to be trained. Train us, Lord. He reproves them with all long suffering and gentleness and mercy. He chastens with nail scarred hands. Sometimes the potter must take the vessel he's working on and thoroughly break it down in order that he may rebuild it exactly as he desires it. But it is love. That is his love. Another way of his love there is not. There cannot be. Jeremiah 18, 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. There will I cause thee to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. It was not marred in the hands of the devil. It's not marred in the hands of the human race. But the potter himself takes it. And of course, he's not likening it to the pottery that was used in this day. But the type in the Old Testament that would have a round wheel on the bottom and a shaft come up the middle like this. And then they'd set the piece up on the top. And the guy would take his shoe off and he would sit there and kick that wheel round and round and round and round. And it's spinning. He had a wet bowl of water sitting there. 
that would he'd be able to dip his hands down, depending on how big it was, larger size container other times. And he was constantly dipping his hands in there. So his foot's going, his mind's going, his eyes are going. He looks down there and he said, no, that's not what it needs to be. So he takes it, he crumbles it, he twists it, he breaks it. And the vessel becomes marred in the hands of the potter. How many's ever been there? It hurts, don't it? Oh my, I've been there so many times and you feel like I'm just about done. Praise God. No doubt, I'll never face a greater trial than this. And all of a sudden, the potter reaches down and he takes you and he destroys your ambitions, your goals, where you think you are. And you find yourself turning inside out, upside down. You don't know where you even are. And you're thinking, God, where am I? What's going on? Where am I? And you look at yourself and you're a mess. How many's ever been a mess? Oh, but you're still in his hands. And he's still kicking. He'll dip his hands over in the anointing. And he'll go to gently. Maybe he'll start like this in the middle, take his fingers, they would go down like that, and then he'll start shaping up the sides and pulling. They have little ripples in, in some of that pottery. I've seen some, I've got some pieces even there of the, the Indians out in Arizona and see how that they would take and, and run their fingers up side by side like this and make the indentions, double indentions as they'd come up. Hundreds of that pottery, hundreds of years old. Some of it in, in Israel and some of it over thousands of years old. And yet they would take and make it. And you say, that's what we are. But he's not molding it full of everything. It's empty. It loses its image, loses everything. And then the potter, I can see a smile come on his face. Now that's what I saw. That's what I wanted. And he shapes and he hones, dips his hands in the anointing again and he comes around and says, I want this lip on the side to come up like that. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And he takes a piece and mashing it, then put a couple of flat ends. What's that? Handles for the side. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's what I had in my mind. Praise God. I don't know where you are today. Maybe some of you already went through the kill and you're sitting up there in the museum. Well, God bless you. Brother Philip, is that where you are, brother? Are you, you're just one of them museum pieces. We, we got folks in the message, of course, that feel like they've already arrived. You know, they're, they're already in the museum. Most of the rest of us poor mortals are still on the wheel. Sometimes I'm upside down, I'm inside out. I'm way worse than a pineapple upside down cake. I mean, you ain't never seen nothing as bad as we, we Christians, what kind of shape we can get into sometimes. All at the hand of the master.
But I'm just so glad that he don't pick me up like this and say, I hate you. You have caused me nothing but trouble. You've broken my heart. You've messed up so many times. I cannot deal with you anymore. But he still looks at me and says, I still love you. You are a mess. But I still love you. I've got a purpose for your life. And you're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. Lord God, <laughs> help us. You know how it feels. You were there on the wheel yourself in your humanity. You was fixing to climb up on the potter's wheel. There you were in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Don't destroy me. Don't break me down. Don't, don't, don't do this to me. Thank you for allowing yourself to feel that. The Spirit God had to destroy this human vessel. The wrath of God had to belch out of divine judgment upon this human temple of the Lord Jesus. He had to become a sinner for us. Glory to God. They laid it in the tomb. But on the third day, it raised a brand new vessel. Praise God. Help the people to understand, Lord Jesus. You did not just raise that same body, but you changed that body. Glory be to God. You experience the transforming power of God that we will experience in the rapture. For you experienced it yourself. Because when life come back into that body, it still looked like it was 50 years old. But your body was changed. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That body went down, hallelujah, into the grave and laid there. But on the Father's wheel, it raised a new body, a young man. Glory be to God. And that young man said to his young bride, hallelujah, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Praise the Lord. Lord, your children may have been gone for thousands of years, 
But one day the Creator will speak, and from the dust of the earth their bodies will come forth. Hallelujah. From the potter's wheel will come the resurrection. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many with your head bowed here today? Those of you streaming the service as well, you say, Brother Donnie, please pray for me. I want to be on the potter's wheel. I don't want to be weary. When he tears me up, when he turns me upside down, when I'm, I'm in a mess, I don't want to accuse him. I don't want to complain against him. God bless you, saints. Those of you that's streaming, may the presence of God. You are precious friends in New Zealand, in Australia, Zimbabwe, Greenland, Iceland, France, Switzerland. May the Lord God, wherever you are today, visit you and comfort your heart. Hallelujah. We worship you today, Lord Jesus. Sing for us, hey. Let's just raise the arms of our vessel, as it were, in the presence of the King. Oh, Lord, forgive us for complaining, Lord. Forgive us for griping when we go through hard times. Help us, Jesus. Mold us, Father. Shape us into that image you desire us to be, Lord. Change my heart, oh God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Make it ever true. Make it ever true, Lord Jesus. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Thank you, Lord God. Change my heart, oh this morning they'll come
prepare for that. Let's just worship Him together. How many wants to have this attitude when you're on the wheel? It's hard, ain't it, children? It's hard, Brother Joel, when we're on the wheel and He's turning us apart, turning us upside down. We just cannot figure out where we are. Oh, but this is the attitude He wants us to have when we're there. Let's just worship Him together now. Let's just let the potter work on us here today. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true, change my heart, oh God, may I be like you, everybody. Make it a prayer now as well as a song. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart. 
started out the recipe. You know, we all, this is just a recipe to what it ends. She's repented. She's come to this water. And we know after she repents, comes to the water, she's baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's promised that if she's followed the recipe, that she shall. It stirs my heart every time I come to these waters, Lord. You've given me the, the privilege to, to baptize so many, Lord. I'm so thankful, Lord Jesus, to, to be a, a part of that, Lord. For welcoming them into the family, Lord. Welcome, Lord, that, not that they, they weren't ever, but Lord, that they recognize who they are, Lord Jesus. And this is a step in, in getting closer to you, Lord. And, and, and fulfilling that promise that you give us, Lord. We're so looking forward to the, the time when you call us home, Lord. But your word says that, that you won't leave a hoof behind. There's not going to be one left behind, Lord. So with every baptism, Lord, with everyone that follows that recipe, Lord Jesus, we're one step closer to home, Father. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd be with our sister, Lord. And, and fulfill that promise, Lord. We don't have to ask. It was a promise. It was a gift, Lord. I pray that she would just, you'd be with her, Lord, no matter what the situation would come, Lord, that she could go back to this day, Lord. Lord Jesus, Lord, in the natural, we know it's her birthday in the natural, Lord, but she's celebrating such a greater birthday today, Lord. I pray that you would just be for Help her, Lord, in all things. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brother Wes already mentioned it uh, whenever he prayed today that you'll be praying about for the youth camp. It'll begin Thursday night, Lord willing, down in Louisiana. We're just expecting a great time in the Lord. I've got to speak Thursday night and Friday night, so remember me, Brother Andrew Spencer will be speaking the day services, and Brother Ron Spencer will be speaking Saturday night. So we're just excited for what the Lord's going to do, looking for lives to be changed. I know a lot of folks are critical of youth camps, but I'll tell you, there's many young, that were young people several years ago, standing here tonight, now that, or today, rather, that's got families, and they received the Holy Ghost there, real experience with God. So just remember them if you would. We're just believing the Lord to have a great, great time with his people. Isn't it wonderful to be a child of God? Amen. To be able to serve him today. Let's just bow our heads together. Brother Joel Yance, so if you'll come and lead us singing here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of another service, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that we could be here together today. Only eternity will reveal what happened here today. And we're grateful that we were allowed to be partakers of it. Father, I received a text just a bit before I came out from Brother Ron Spencer. And he was saying that 
he got a text from Brother Homer Longoria that he thought he was having a kidney stone today. We pray for your mercy to our brother, dear God. Lord, we ask you that you'd be mindful of all the needs of your sick children. We know that you don't always bring healing and a miracle, maybe as soon as we wish. But yet we know our lives are in your hands. Sometimes you will perform one miracle and totally eradicates whatever it is we're dealing with. Other times you like to give healings and then you'll mix it in with a miracle and then a couple more healings and then maybe another miracle. There's other times you will perform several, many miracles. This transformed, this changed, that changed. It lets us know that we're not the ones to dictate to you how to do things. We just ask you to do them and be mindful of us, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd go with us now, Lord. You see the bus be leaving out here Wednesday night, 6.30 or so. May you watch over our youth as they travel down, God. We're expecting your Father to just move in the youth meeting there, Father. Lord God, how many lives, how many trophies have been won to the kingdom of God. We're believing this one to be no different. We're asking you that you'd move in a mighty way. Change lives, Father. Lord, many of those young people will be coming with habits in their lives, and this and that and the other. Some will be coming looking for a girlfriend or a boyfriend, but may they find the Prince of Peace, Amen. not a girlfriend. Lord God, may you change lives, Father. We're expecting it, Lord God. Go with us now, Lord Jesus. Keep us, I pray, by your great power until the hour that we are all called away. In the name of the Lord Jesus. God bless you. Turn and shake hands with somebody. Tell them it's good to be in the house of God today. Oh, take up your cross and follow Jesus and take up your cross every day Just to know 
appreciate our pastor obeying the Lord this morning. We need that. Can you find any time, any place, anywhere? Let's just remember there won't be service Wednesday night. Let's be praying for our, for our youth that God will just change their lives to just last forever. We know that's possible. So let's remember that. Just sing this as, as we go this morning. Well, I know a man who can walk on water. Time in it place anywhere I know a man who can calm a storm time any place anywhere
store. 